When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Roker Report podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cam, and this week we have a SAFC Ladies... I want to call it a special. We'll go with a special edition. Um, we've got SFC Ladies player Grace McCatty with us. How are you doing, Grace? Yeah, good, thank you. Yeah, really good. Fantastic. The point of this podcast is really we're going to introduce as many people as we can to the ladies team because this season should be an exciting one. So firstly, yourself, Grace, what is your aspiration for this season? What are we going to achieve as a, a club? Yeah, of course, I think I've only obviously been at the club now coming into my second season, but I think we're going to be quite open this year that our aspiration for 2019-2020 is to get promoted. I think anything less we can openly say will be, I don't want to say a failure, but a disappointment or at least we haven't reached what we set out to do. So yeah, we're very open. Um, I suppose like by saying that you do put yourself under the firing line, but mm-hmm. I think we are going to be open in saying that we are going for promotion this year, nothing less. And that is our overall aim, yeah, is to get the club back to back to where it once was. Fantastic. Do a, what Blackburn did last season and just walk it. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, credit to Blackburn last year. They were um, they dominated that league and I think there's nothing saying that now we've got a really good foundation that we can't do the same this year. Mm-hmm. So um, hopefully some really good games for fans to come and watch and some really good results to follow. But yeah, our plan is to, whether we walk it or not, is at least just win the league <laughs> at the end of it. <laughs> So you mentioned it's your second year here now. Yeah. Give us a little bit of a background. So where did you start? How has your career got to this point now? Yes, I think as probably most people can can tell by the accent, I'm not a northerner. (laughs) Um, Don't have any northeast twang just yet. Um, So yeah, I'm from Gloucester originally. Um, So I spent prior to coming up to the northeast, spent pretty much most of my career in and around the Gloucester, Bristol area. So as with most players, spent kind of my formative years playing for a local club, like a local team until I was 16 and then opted to go to college to study A-levels alongside playing for Football Academy and that was in Bristol um, because they had links with what was Bristol Academy at that time now, Bristol City Women. Then spent 10 years there. So progressed through kind of from the academy into the first team um, and then spent, yeah, pretty much the bulk of my career at that club, which was great because I think for me as a player, you got, I got to experience it from literally being in the academy right through to playing the highs of kind of Champions League, FA Cup finals. Mm-hmm. So you've seen like the real involvement of the game and been part of that. Yeah, and about three years ago, I kind of just fancied a change. I think great what had been achieved so far. And I think I, I'm so thankful for the memories I had at Bristol and, and the, the experience I went through there. But I wanted something different. I wanted not just a different football experience, but a different life experience, like somewhere different mm. to live. Like the UK is not huge, but it's a heck of a lot of I haven't seen, which is crazy. So yeah, decided to move up to Durham and obviously joined them initially. Uh, unfortunately got injured at that time, tore my ACL. So then spent kind of the year, next year and a half rehabbing, which is never ideal when you just arrived in a new place. Um, and then, yeah, 
start of last season. Just had a conversation with Mel, obviously, who's the manager, and just said, look, just come up from injury. Like, I want to play regularly, want to enjoy football again. And, like, I believe in what Sunderland are doing. Having, like, been part of the same leagues that they have been in, kind of, I don't want to say in a heyday, but when they were in kind of WSO on the top tier, yeah. I knew what the club stood for. And I said to her, like, I would love to play a part in that in getting the club back to where we rightfully think it belongs. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. So from, like, a Sunderland fan's point of view, yeah. I always find that the ladies' team is a real point of frustration in the fact that we're allowed to sort of fall away, you know, and the, the leagues were reformed and I know a few people feel the same way. So for you... What was it like seeing a club, you know, it happened with Yeovil Town as well, yeah. sort of struggle to hit that that barrier that they needed to pass and have to fall down the leagues and start again almost? Yeah, and I think I can probably speak quite candidly about it in a sense of, I love the women's game, like spent my whole life, I think, if I, say, I can't say how old I am, but I can, but like I've spent the last 25 years playing football and the game has gone through a ridiculous involvement in that time, which is fantastic. Like it's incredible to see the Women's World Cup and what can be achieved by the country because the resources are put behind it. But then that also comes with a level of frustration when you look at the, the story of Sunderland, you look at Yeovil, you look at Doncaster Rovers, teams that once were in the pinnacle of the game, we're competing rightfully so on the pitch and doing well, demoted for non-footballing reasons. And I think that's not to point the finger at anyone in, in terms of saying it's your fault or it's the FA's fault, but it's to say that more needs to be done. Yeah, great the game's going, great we're getting to that level where players are full-time professional, but more support needs to be offered so that one simple financial decision doesn't affect a club's future. Mm-hmm. Because I think, I remember sitting watching the World Cup this year and it's it's all over Twitter like the number of Sunderland produced players in that squad just shouts the incredible investment this club has made in the women's game and as a result hear these players so I think for me yeah playing against Sunderland like when I was at Bristol always a good team always one of the most competitive teams to then see them be demoted for something that the players had no control over was like quite devastating and mm-hmm. and I've, no, I've known Mel for a few years just through the footballing kind of world and I said to her like I believe the club belongs to the top tier um, based on on the pitch stuff the club have got every right to be there right now we've got to build back up to get there and, and hope that the off the pitch stuff follows to allow us to do that mm-hmm. So the pinnacle of, of sort of your career so far yeah. at Bristol Champions League has to be <laughs> yeah, yeah, so yeah. the place you go to what yeah. was the for you the moment where you thought like wow this is this is it this is like football like, yeah <laughs> and it was mad because I think when the the FA brought in the Women's Super League which is a top tier in um, 2011 it was kind of, oh, everyone's a bit unsure what it's going to look like. And it's a bit like, oh, this is a bit different playing in the summer. And I think, yeah, over the time, having then Bristol, probably similar to the likes of Yeovil, that I can say nicely, like no one knew who we were. Like we were an independent club. Uh, we had players that didn't play for England and people were like, well, who are they? And suddenly as a team, we evolved like and generated like, or developed this culture that suddenly we were competing on the top level and like I said obviously as a result of that we got to two FA Cup finals sadly lost both of them but it's always nice to have a, a runners at medal and then yeah as a result of that because of the ruling at the time we then qualify for for the Champions League and been in two campaigns and I think you, when you do that and you get to play on the European stage and you get to play the likes of Barcelona I think that's when you think oh wow like this is what it's about and I think when you when you put the name like Bristol against Barcelona in the same sentence it's a bit like oh that's a little bit weird <laughs> and everyone's like oh when, I remember the scene on BBC Sport like Bristol beats Barcelona and you'd never see those two teams match together in the men's game yeah. but that just highlights I think how far the women's game is growing in the UK and also the teams that can be there, that you don't have to be a Man City or an Arsenal or a Liverpool. You don't have to be kind of the top four men's club and their equivalent women's team, that you can be a Birmingham City. Um, and you can be kind of, I don't want to say smaller teams, but yeah, 
the teams that maybe don't dominate the men's game, there's nothing saying they can't do that in the women's game. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, that was pretty incredible when, when we went to Barcelona. We didn't play in the new camp, we played in the stadium next door to it. And I think, yeah, that whole atmosphere, you're thinking, God, like this is this complex. is why Yeah, this is why you do what you do. This is why you put in all those hours to come and experience kind of the stage like that. So yeah, that was pretty incredible. And yeah, to go on to win one nil away from home and then draw one one all at home was yeah probably two of the best games I've played in. So, <laughs> am I right in saying you made it the furthest of all the English teams in the competition? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that's changed now. But at that time, we were the yeah, the last English team in it. Mm. Unfortunately, we lost in the quarterfinals against FFC Frankfurt quite heavily. So credits them, but they went on to win. To win it, yeah. <laughs> so it's always nice to say like if you lose, you've lost against the eventual winners. But yeah, like incredible experience. And I think yeah, whenever we speak about the Bristol days. Uh, I think, yeah, they're they're probably the, the two pinnacles of the Champions Leagues. It's interesting as well, because obviously that success led to Mark Sampson mm-hmm. his appointment at England. Yeah. What was that like for you seeing his England career pan out? Because obviously it ended in not the best kind of way, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I think it was incredible for Mark. I think it's strange because we viewed Mark as obviously our manager, but our friend, because mm. he's not that much older than me. And it's certainly bizarre that your ex-manager is now managing the England team. And you're like, wow, he's going to World Cup. But I think... Despite how it ended, I don't think anyone can ever take away how much he developed and evolved that team. And he very much applied the principles that we operated under at Bristol around like having a family culture and valuing people over players. So I'm going to treat you as a person rather than you're just a footballer and you can't do what I'm going to do and get someone else. I think that culture is what allowed, like, led to our success at Bristol. Mm-hmm. And I think in turn, that's probably what led to England at that time going from where they were to getting a bronze medal, which to date is the biggest achievement they've ever achieved on national stage. So I think incredible for him. I think you look at the squad from Bristol at the time, they're all now playing for women's Super League clubs, playing full-time, both in the UK and across Europe. So I think similar to what Sunderland done in terms of producing players, Bristol done exactly the same at the time. And then also with their manager, obviously went on, Mark went on to get obviously the success he he deserves, I think, at, at national level. Obviously shame to see how it ended, but I think, that doesn't take away from the coach he is and the manager is and the qualities he brought to the game. And if it wasn't for him, Bristol would have never got to where they were from kind of an independent club to being in the Champions League. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that was an incredible kind of period of for us down in the South. And yeah, my hope is that we can kind of bring some kind of level of success up here yeah. as well. So how does that, that culture you mentioned, Bristol, how does that compare with Sunderland? What's it like culture-wise? Because I believe, you, right in saying you are training at the academy, mm-hmm. very much ingrained with the rest of the club. Yeah. So how does that compare? Because it goes from being a college team to a, a, a football club. <laughs> yeah, like. yeah, it is. Yeah, and I think um, when I'd obviously joined Sunderland last year, just gone through a huge period of change. Like, like for those who obviously were listening, we obviously went from what was the tier one top tier to be demoted to for, I'm assuming everyone knows, obviously non-footballing reasons, and that led to a lot of players leaving. And you know, ultimately, a player has to do what's best for them, and I, I, no one blames them for that. Um, so I think it was a case of last year the club had to rebuild. From, from scratch not completely obviously still had all the, the great staff in place but it was right now we need to get players in we need to develop how we're going to play what we want to do and build up so for those who come with us now we've got a really young team I am the oldest I think the youngest is 13 years younger than me it says, says how old I am um, and it's it's a bit mad to be like oh are you 13 years younger but I think we were like we need to build again so last year was kind of laying those foundations getting the younger players coming through understanding how we as a club want to play the formations we're going to adopt the culture we're going to have as a team on and off the pitch and you know we'd love to got promoted last year but credit to Blackburn they deserved it um, and you can't fault them for that so I think now we've got those foundations in place this year it's now about building on that and going to perform the best we can do so I think it's great having Mel obviously having been here when the club was in 
women's super league to where they are, where they are now is great because she's carried that kind of club culture for you mm-hmm. through and she's been around Sunderland for years so obviously she knows what it was like as a player and and, and now as a coach and and it's great that we're back at the academy because it's nice obviously being around seeing the, the younger academy boys training and having that one one club approach because I think ultimately all you end up ever doing is just being a team that wears a kit whereas obviously being at the academy now and and, and I know the club are doing it developing stronger links with the I'd say the men's side but the, the wider club will hopefully mean that um, like moving forward it is that big old one club, one badge approach, which I think will only benefit us on the pitch and it will only benefit the wider footballing community as well. Absolutely, because when you see things like the pre-season, the kit launch, everyone was sort of involved in that, just good to see. When it comes to coaching-wise, do you ever get any sort of mixing with different teams? I know it doesn't really work like that where you just all train <laughs> together, but do you ever get to like share time with people and share sort of experience and knowledge with people? Yeah, so during pre-season, we were training earlier to make the most of the light. And as we come towards the end of our pre-season, the boys, the academy boys start training like alongside us. So obviously being outside, you've got a fair amount of pictures. So they had one and we would have mm-hmm. one. Um, but obviously now with the weather changing, I say changing, it's getting towards winter, um, we've now moved back to training inside the barn. So obviously they finish and just as they finish, we then start. So it's nice because you get to, you do get to see that the younger, the mm-hmm. boys come through. I think obviously I can't really comment on what it was like prior to when I joined the club, but I know if you spoke to like the existing players like Kira Ramshaw and Molly, I, th- I think it is still quite different to what it once was, but we are definitely moving in the right direction, which can only be positive for all. Yeah, absolutely. I think for um, playing wise on the pitch, yep. you've got to see your team set up. Your position, are you... Obviously, oldest player in the squad. Do you yeah. see yourself as more of a leader? You, are you nurturing younger players and telling people what to do, or what's your approach? I would like to always think like I lead by example. Like did do at Bristol, both when I was captain and non, like not captain, just as an all team member. Because ultimately, I think as a player, obviously, I want to do the best I can individually. But I, at my age, also want to like invest and support like the next generation coming through. Because ultimately, I would love to say I'm going to play for another ten years. Probably not going to. But those players come through the 16, 17 year olds that we've just signed from our kind of youth side are incredible players and they're going to go on to be kind of the, the bedrock of the team. So for me, yeah, I like to think I lead by example, but also try and really support those younger players coming through because they've just gone from 16 years old playing youth football to suddenly playing women's football where they could face anyone from a 60 year old to probably through to like a 35 year old. So for them, it's it's a big change physically and also in terms of the speed of the game. So for me, yeah. Playing centre half is quite nice because I get to see the whole pitch from the back forwards. Mm. Um, and it means that I can hopefully share my experiences, both in terms of what I personally do, but also in terms of trying to lead the, the rest of the team. Absolutely. So, first game of the season. Yep. Days away now. <laughs> yeah. West Brom, confident? <laughs> yeah, to be fair, I, it's a hard one because West Brom have just got promoted. Mm. So, I think on paper you say, well, well Sunderland should win because they finished pretty much a division higher and where we did in terms of second. Um, but I think you can never underestimate anyone in this league. There are a lot of teams, i.e. we only really know the northern part. West Brom is pushing the boundaries of north um, in terms of location. So it's hard to know kind of where they fare and against other people we've played. So I think in terms of us, yeah, we're confident. I think we focus on what we've done and how pre-season has gone and we focus on our game and we execute that well. I have no doubt we'll walk away at three points, but we have to make sure we stick to the game plan and we go out and do what we've spent the last six to eight weeks practising on. So, yeah, hard to know what West Brom are going to be like, but I think it's a good challenge for us to start and and kind of get the ball rolling. Yeah, you sort of touched on it there, but how do you prepare for a team? Is it like, so obviously men's game, a lot is made of scout reports and technology and all this stuff. How do you prepare for a game? Is it about analysing as much as you can of your opponents? Mm -hmm. Because obviously 
teams like West Brom, not going to be a lot of film knocking about. <laughs> or is it very much just taking care of yourself, ensuring that you know what you're doing and your house is in order? Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. Um, we do, it'd be naive not to utilise any footage that's out there in terms of the other team and, and what they're doing. So I think where possible, we will try and get information on the other team, whether that's by going out and watching games or we've also got a team of staff who can go and do that or looking at footage. So we saw films the game this weekend, we'll obviously have more footage for the second half, second time we face them. But I think given this early in the season, especially with a team at like West Brom, we know a little about them. I think it's about getting ourselves in order, knowing what we're going to do, what's our game plan in possession, out of possession when we don't have the ball um, and how we're going to execute that. And then depending on the certain challenges we face, knowing people, knowing on the pitch what their roles and responsibilities are. And that will take time. I think if you look at us last season, it took us a few games to get into it. And that's like any season you kind of grow into it and the results you hope will come from the start, but you're going to grow into it. So I think for us, it's about focusing on what we can do this weekend, going out and executing that the best we can, and then spending that next week learning from what went well, great, let's continue that. But probably what didn't go so well, how can we adapt that and develop that better so that when we face, obviously, Newcastle in the, the League Cup, we're, yeah, one better. So, um, yeah, I think for now, it's pretty much focusing on what we can do. Um, but you, where possible, utilising the footage that's out there, which a lot of say, like the men's game, there is there is limited um, to kind of shape what we do. I'll, we'll come back to the Newcastle Yeah, yeah, we'll come back to it, yeah. <laughs> so, in terms of, without giving away how you're going to play the yeah. weekend, just in case there are any West Brom <laughs> scouts listening. What is the philosophy? Is it very much possession-based? you trying to play out from the back? Are you going to be lumping the ball forwards? <laughs> target man? What's yeah. the... Yeah, I think, I think there will be like one dominant way we play. And I think for us, we want to retain possession. The, the only way we're going to score goals is by keeping the ball. Obviously, the extent to which you can do that will depend on what position you play. Um, if we play against a team who presses from the front... It's then about players being brave to still want to get on the ball. There will be the odd time you have to go long, but I think for us as a team, it's about can we build possession? Can we control the ball when we have it? Can we be patient until we score? The more we have the ball, the more likely we are to score. And I think if you look at us last season, there were some games where we dominated possession. Maybe we didn't have the end product, but dominated possession. Whereas other games, we probably didn't trust ourselves enough and we did kind of, as you said, like lump it and go along a bit and it, it's not pretty to see and it doesn't really lead to how we want to play because ultimately whilst we're building to try and win the league this year, we're also building to where we ultimately want to be. Um, and the more we can do the right things now, the easier and the more kind of innate it will be when we come to hopefully playing in the Women's Championship and obviously one day onto Super League. So um, yeah, for us, I think it's about that possession-based game. Can we keep the ball? Can we be patient in possession? And then I think ultimately from that, it's about players going out and expressing themselves. Don't get wrong, there is, there is a time where you probably do have to just kick the ball wrong and, and protect your lines. But um, for us, yeah, it's about that kind of being patient in possession. Absolutely. So Newcastle then. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you know, the the single most important game on a yeah. Sunderland calendar. Yeah. Especially in the men's game. In the women's game, is there as much rivalry? Is there as much derby, sort of local derby? Because obviously a lot of the a lot of it comes from history and games yes. played in the past. I feel like this is maybe the first time the two sides have met in a competitive fixture. Yeah, to fit and again, excuse my like not ignorance what I don't know huge amounts about the history, but I think regardless of levels they play at, there will without a doubt be some kind of level of rivalry. Like the mm. women's football community is quite a close community. Like girls from around this area so those like Kira who grew up in Sunderland will know a lot of the the Newcastle players as will I probably because paths cross and players switch teams so I think beyond obviously the badge like there will be rivalry in a sense that people just know each other and you want to go out and obviously come away and, and be the mm-hmm. better team of the day but I think it's great that then you add the badges to it the Newcastle Sunderland aspect it, it then like you said comes with a level of uh, yeah history but it will give you a bit, the game a bit of 
bit of spark. Not I don't say spark about it, but it will yeah definitely add a bit of fire to the game because even if you've never watched women's football, even if you're not a women's football fan, to come and watch a derby like that, I can promise you, it will be a great game just because of the occasion of it. Obviously, them being in the lower leagues, um, I think obviously they'll go into it, treat them like an under, themselves like an underdog, and they will without a doubt want to get one over on us. But I think for us, we each have to focus on it like any other game, but also just enjoy the occasion mm-hmm. because. It's not very often, particularly in a women's game, where we get a North East derby like that. So, um, yeah, it'll be definitely something we enjoy. Could be a great opportunity to really announce yourselves to, uh, <laughs> to the rest of the Sunderland fan base. Yeah. We aren't as sort of paying much, much attention to this team. Cause... Yeah, definitely. Because that's the thing, isn't it? I think ultimately, if you don't follow women's football, like, and I get it, you've got no reason to go and watch it. Because if, if it's not your interest, you're not going to. But sometimes all you need is, oh, it's a local derby. If you're a Sunderland fan, you probably hate Newcastle just as a club as a whole. <laughs> Why would you not want to come watch the game? So I think, yeah, fantastic occasion for us. Um, and yeah, fingers crossed we can get some fans who maybe not have previously watched it down to the game because it will be a good game. And I think if you want a taste of a North East derby for the women's game, yeah, definitely come and watch that one. Yeah, possibly the only one we'll have this season. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Going back to sort of your career then. Yeah. I want to pick out a couple of sort of key moments. You mentioned the, the FA Cup finals. Yes. So you don't want to dwell on them too much. You don't <laughs> yeah. want to. Um, I think the first final was against Arsenal. Yeah. And that's the one where I first heard of Brighton. Okay. And was like hearing about this like story about this team, which are based in a college and it's mm-hmm. all this like overachieving sort of underdog story. Yeah. You came up in that game against Steph Horton yeah. as Arsenal captain. And obviously she's one of the poster girls of the World Cup yeah. and <laughs> Sunderland Lass as well. So everybody's mm-hmm. a big supporter of hers. What was it like playing against her at that stage in her career? And obviously the, the Arsenal team at that time were obviously superstars. Yeah. What was it like playing against that level of player? And do you think that the top level of women's football now is actually even a step higher than it was? Yeah, so I think I remember going into the game. So obviously we, two finals played Arsenal, both of them. And at that time, Arsenal, and, and it's great to see them now back to kind of what mm. they once were because they were dominating the women's game, rightfully so. Um, and like you said, they had the likes of people like Steph and in the team. And I think at the time... They were the best team in England, without a doubt. This was prior to the days of like Man City coming in with their investment and um, and Chelsea, etc. So I think, yeah, for us, it was it's a really hard one because you don't want to play the game for the occasion, but you're also stupid not to enjoy it for it. Um, as a player, to get to an FA Cup final, whether you're men, women's, youth, like the FA Cup comes with some kind of history that it is just like one of the greatest competitions because yeah. you you can have that dream of being the the non-league team that suddenly comes up against the Premier League team and it's that's the, the magic of the cup as such. I think for us, it was incredible. We, I remember the journey getting to the final um, in terms of like, we were in the quarterfinal and we're like, oh God, like we're one game away now and then you win the semi and then you're like, wow, we're actually in the final now. And it's that is that balance between like, you want to go out and win, like without a doubt, we went in, went in it to win it, but we also appreciated that we were never on paper going to win it. And we were the underdogs and I, I'd have loved for the underdogs to win that day and overcome but I think for us it was about doing the best we could but like enjoying the occasion because they are far and few between in, in a player's career like I look back now at, at my age and think do you know would I ever get a chance playing Epic Cup final again I'd love to but it, the, given the way the game's evolved and it developed the, the chances are slim hey, you never know we could go on a a worldy cut run this year but um, yeah I think yeah at that time it, yeah it was incredible to be able to play not only in an FA Cup final but against, like you said, the team of Arsenal at that time, which loads of those players now have gone on to be like domineering stars for their their yeah. equivalent it's nation. Of, I mean, Alex Scott, Rachel yeah, really and it's been incredible. Some games. yeah, some real legends of the women's game. I remember growing up watching England women play, and a lot of them were playing for those at the time. So it's really bizarre to then think 
10 years ago, I was just a kid watching the Euro 2005 on TV. And here I am now against playing against half of those players. So I think, yeah, it was, it's this really like mismatch between I once was a fan. I used to like idolize you. Now I'm going to play against you. So that goes out the window because ultimately <laughs> I want to be the better footballer. And like I said, but back to Steph, I think um, at that time, yeah, obviously playing for, obviously what was the best best club in England and I remember when she she moved to Man City everyone was like oh that's really weird like why would you leave Arsenal at the time who were um, the domineering team but obviously rightfully so because she had obviously information about how they were going to invest in the game and develop and obviously it's been a great move for her so I think yeah like really great creation would have loved to have won um, but it's not every day you can say you play in two FA Cup finals. I was going to say, still time. <laughs> yeah, still time, yeah. <laughs> that uh, World Cup run will be quite something, yeah, actually. I know, yeah. <laughs> so, FA Cup being one thing. Um, cup competitions for Sunderland, sort of this season. Yeah. Bothered? Or is, is it going to be something that you actually focus a lot of energy on? Yeah, I just think... Just like any other game. Uh, uh, yeah, I think... Well, like I said, and we're open for a start, like, we want to win the lead this year. Like, promotion yeah. is our number one goal. That's not to say we're going to... Um, just forget about the, the cut run because ultimately I think that's another great thing that can one can build momentum and two can help us really just get going because ultimately there's nothing worse than going like league, league, league game and then cup and then change everything you've done for the three the previous three games because ultimately we want, we want to build some momentum um, we want to get a better game on game so I think whether that is cup or league we'll treat it the same I would love to have a great cut run there's nothing saying that we can't go on and do really well and I think Beyond that, it's a great opportunity to play teams in the high level, play teams, obviously, in the Women's Super League and Women's Championship, and it gives us a good marker of where we're at. So, obviously, in pre-season, we did play against Sheffield, who are the league above, and I think it was great to be like, right, this is where we're at. This is maybe where we need to get a little bit better at, and it's a good chance for that reflection. So, I think, yeah, cup game, we'll treat them like any other game. We want to go out and win it. I think that's what we're going to treat every single game like this year. But I would love to, yeah, do well in the cup and get a chance to play like a higher level opposition because it's a good marker in terms of where we want to be but also gets us to identify right great we're not far away here but we maybe need to improve in these areas so um, yeah I'd love yeah I'd love a good FA Cup run last year wasn't so good I think we got knocked out in the first round we were in but yeah fingers crossed we can yeah go a little bit better this year So you mentioned the pre-season there it was a bit of a you look glance over the results there's a lot of <laughs> yeah. big numbers and then little numbers next to them yeah. so what was that like? Because you must get to a point you're sort of trying to prepare. You, you go 7-0 up and you start to maybe take the foot off the gas a bit. Yeah, I think, and it's not just for us. One of the hardest things in the women's game is getting right, like, rightly matched pre-season fixtures. Mm. Um, unfortunately, at the moment, we don't have the, the privilege of men game where we can just go and fly to Europe and play different teams. I'd, I'd love that. But I think at the moment, yeah, we're not quite at that place. So we have to utilise one local opposition and, and like credit to to some of the teams in the lower leagues because they like they came and they they gave us a really good match and for us it was a really important chance to get minutes I think take the score away it's always nice to think yeah we won most of them but I think for us it was all about the performance how are we executing ourselves how are we putting into practice that stuff we've done in training are we playing to the right formation are we executing the, the game plan right so I think yeah you can look back at the results and think oh 12 nil, like wow but I think yeah you have to take that with a pinch of salt because we're not looking at the result and saying, oh, yeah, if we won 12 nil for us, it's an important 90 minutes that players have got under their belts. Um, it's a good opportunity to go out and try different systems of play, uh, different formations, and, and to figure out kind of where our strengths lie and what players work well together. Uh, we've got quite a big squad this year, I think 22 players in total, which means there's potentially 22 different kind of on-the-pitch relationships you're going to build. Uh, um, so it's about figuring out how you play with certain players who complements each other better. So I think for pre-season, whilst the result is always great, it's good to have that challenge and that space to kind of try those different things, which I think will put us in really good stuff for the season. 
So of those 22, obviously you don't have to answer this if it's no, it's fine. harm you <laughs> in the change room or anything like that. Which of those players would you say, if you're going to come and watch Sunderland, come and watch it because you know, <laughs> really she's can... amazing. She's like, she's yeah. going to be the one who excites everybody on the pitch. No, I think, do you know, I think we've got a really good mix this year. Um, like I mentioned before, you've got the likes of obviously Kira Ramshaw, who is Sunderland through and through, like a diehard Sunderland girl. And if anyone knows the club, it's her. Like she knows mm. in and out, she loves in and out. Um, probably could have easily gone a sign for any other women's Super League team. Obviously, when Sunderland unfortunately got lost, he demoted two divisions. But she believes in what the club are doing. She believes in what Mel and the staff are doing. And she's obviously stayed because for her, it's about getting her club back to where it belongs. So I think for anyone who wants to see someone who loves a team in and out and that reflects in the way they play, I think, yeah, without a doubt, Kira's, Kira's one to watch. And I think beyond that, we've got like a really, like I said, a really good mix. There are some really exciting younger players coming through. Um, you'd obviously see from our signings, we've signed a number of our like RTC girls, so Jess Brown and Neve, both who are, are now way of England in their respective age groups. But two really exciting young talent and I joke about being 13 years older but like which makes me feel really old but it's incredible that like as a 16 year old they can come into a team of the likes of people like Kira and Molly mm. who have got WSL1 experience and I say older players like me and they just fit in naturally aren't phased by I don't want to say the occasion but aren't phased by the fact that it's suddenly senior football and you're playing on a national level and I think yeah they're definitely the younger players coming through are definitely players to watch because like they excite me playing with them and they're definitely going to go on to be right, real pivotal players in this team. So really nice mix. Um, but yeah, they're probably the ones, not saying no one else isn't, isn't one to watch because <laughs> <laughs> I could go through the whole team. But I think, yeah, obviously people like Kira and Molly who have been here a while, I think still perform at that level and yeah, definitely younger players coming through. Fantastic. What about um, Mel, head coach? How was her impact felt? Is she very much a one of the players type of deal is very friendly or she's very much you got a knock on the door before you come in and speak with <laughs> I, yeah, I, I think Mel's got a really good balance a bit of both um, like my my stance I, I coach myself is that as, as a coach obviously you want players to perform on the pitch but you ultimately have to treat them as people as well because obviously if you don't take time getting to know your players as people you're not going to understand what makes them tick mm. or when they're having a bad day or how they deal with criticism and feedback so I think Mel has spent that time getting to know players getting to like understand them um, in terms of like, how do I deal with this player? How do I get the best out of them? Which then means that she's able to get the best out of us on the pitch. So I think, yeah, a bit of both. I've got no qualms if, if I need to speak to Mal about something, going and knocking on the door or giving her a call. So I think it's great that she's created that kind of open communication line that anyone can approach her about anything. And if they're unsure, go and ask her questions. Like she's not scared to say like, this is why I've made a decision or this is why I've gone for that. So I think that's great because it gives players... One, that reassurance, but two, they they, they they honestly know where they're at and, and what's needed of them and maybe why they're not playing and someone else has been selected. It's good because I think as a footballer, there's nothing worse than going away from a game and mulling over someone and starting to question why something's happened. You can just go and ask Mel and, and she'll give you those answers. So I think it's great because while she still have those like open lines of communication and that kind of really positive rapport, like when she wants something, she will tell you and she'll demand the best from us. And that's not in a harsh way, but that's because she wants the club to be as good as it can be. And she's she and obviously the other staff are investing so much time into it that what we do on a pitch is a reflection on them. So I think, um, yeah, it's really good because you have the, that both balance that you can have that front friendly, informal conversation if something's bothering you or if if you're not sure, you have some queries around well, why we play in this formation. I don't think that's right. But also when she wants something from you, like she'll tell you. And that's great because I think then it, it gets us to be the best we can be. Yeah, she'd still carry that discipline yeah like, yeah managers. definitely so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah coming towards the end now yeah. sort of running out of time sadly but if there were obviously 
hopefully lots of you know young girls listening wanting to be some of them players mm-hmm. what would you say to them how would you go about going from having a passion to actually one day getting the chance to play for a, a football club like Sunderland yeah I think for anyone any young girl or any player young girl boy coming through I think Ultimately, the reason you start playing football, so the reason as a four-year-old I started playing football is because I loved it and I was just playing in the background, in, in the background of my brothers. I've got three brothers, so I grew up in quite a male-dominated family, but I loved what I'd done, whether that be in the back garden or playing against the garage at the front of your house or down the field with jumpers as goalposts. I think you have to enjoy what you do because ultimately, whether you're playing on a Sunday afternoon out on the field with your mates to play in on, on a national level with Sunderland you have to enjoy it because that's why we do it. The reason I go to training every week and the reason I go and play football on a Sunday is because one, because I love what I do, but because I get joy out of it. So I think for every player coming through and who has aspirations to maybe come on and, and play for like a team like Sunderland or play on a national level is one, you've got to ultimately remember like why you start doing it because that will be what drives you through. That love and that passion of enjoyment of when you go out on the pitch and you get that joy, that will be the drive of what you do. And I think it goes without saying is secondly, you've got to work hard because it doesn't come easy. The, the women's game probably has a heck of a lot more obstacles to overcome compared to the men's game. You look at us, we're in what is the third tier, so the equivalent of of League One, yet we all do it part-time. We all have full-time jobs. You all balance careers, such as working and studying. So I think without that hard work and that discipline of I'm going to put in the hours, even though I'm tired and even though I get home from work and I've got to go to the gym, you've got to work hard because like n- nothing in life comes easy. So I think, yeah, any any young player coming through, like just keep working hard at what you're doing. Like spend time mastering your craft, spend time putting the hours in because the more hours you put in, that'll be reflective of kind of the level you get to. But I think beyond that, you've got to enjoy it. Like I said before, going back to what I said before, you've got to love what you do because that will give you the passion that when you wake up on a Sunday morning and it's absolutely pouring it down and freezing cold and you don't want to go outside, that love will drive you, drive you out the door. So yeah, if any girl coming through, just, or even boy as well, yeah, like work hard, spend time really developing your skill, recognising what you're good at and making that the best you can be. But always love what you do because if you don't, you'll never you'll never continue it. Yeah, I find that always strikes me when you're talking with female players of sort of part-time or even professional. You've mentioned a lot of the media and fans make a lot of the financial side of things mm-hmm. and how it's unfair and there needs to be more investment. When you talk to the players, the ones who are still playing, mm-hmm. very much like, well, that's not what I'm doing it for right yeah. now. Like, yeah, that's all great and that all comes with it. But, you know, you're here to play football. You're not here to drum up like money, which it's great. But yeah, you're yeah. There. eventually you need to remember what you actually got into the game for. Yeah, and do you know, don't go wrong. Like, like every player would love to play football full-time and get paid to do that. Um, but I think you appreciate, like, even while the game's still evolving, like the women's game has changed so much in, in the last kind of eight years. Um, and that's reflective like on how much we're performing on national style. You look back to the World's Cup this summer and how well we've done. But I think there is still quite a big gulf in terms of development. You can simply go from tier one women's super league, where every player is a full-time professional and that is their job, to the second tier, which is women's championship, where it's a mix. A lot of players work and they play and they get a bit paid a bit to play football to down to our level, where you don't get paid. And it's not about it's not about the money, but you you'll work or you'll balance a career or a job along the side and to think you could simply get promoted and then that changes completely so it's an ever evolving ever changing definitely going in the right direction and don't get it wrong like I think the more money and resource that comes into the women's game the better it's going to become and that's not suddenly saying pay me what the first team are getting paid for the men because I think that's that's an unrealistic definitely an unrealistic request um but I think the more investment that can come into it 
the more you're allowing female players to focus on their game rather than have to worry about, I've got a midweek game, but I don't finish work here, so I'm coming straight from work. And those kind of things that we don't moan about because it's the reality of it, but it definitely impacts on the quality that you can produce. Mm. So um, yeah, definitely the more resources that come into the game, the better. And it is only a fraction of what goes in and out of the men's game. And I, and I hate to compare it because people do. Like you see all over Twitter, like yeah. people always compare. It, and I like to use the, like, the analogy of like, you look at tennis, no one ever compares like Serena Williams to Rafael Nadal. Like, because you treat them both as quality in their own right. She is a class women's tennis player he is a class men's tennis player and I think physiologically you can never compare the women and men's game like they're built differently to us men are built differently like genetically or differently we, we can't compete with that so I think you have to treat the women's game for its own entity and its own right um, and you know appreciate it for what it is the game everyone I've spoken to that watched the World Cup was really impressed with like the skill level the speed and and it shows the game is going in the right direction and that's only coming about because of the resource that's allowed players to focus solely on playing football and not worry about balancing a job and spinning other plates. Do you find that, because obviously World Cup had that massive result, USA uh, against Thailand, I think it was. Do you fear that there will become a gulf where the investment in teams like, you know, Team USA and then obviously Mm -hmm. um, the top flight in England football, do you think that'll actually create a a gap that might be too big to overcome for teams in in our position now and obviously teams in the division below? Yeah, I think that there is always a risk that that the gulf's going to open up, that it's going to be bigger. Um, but all we've got to hope is that while the investment goes in the top level is that it is going to trickle down and support the lower levels. So you look at obviously the Women's Super League getting their first headline headline sponsor in Barclays. Yeah. That's a heck of a lot of money that's coming into the women's game. And whilst a lot of that we'll never see, it is going to benefit, yes, the top tier and it is going to give them prize money for winning the league, which is crazy to think to this date we've never had it for the women's, given how much the Premier League winners get. Um right the way down to grassroots, getting more girls playing, giving more girls the opportunity to access it on the local level. So yeah, there is always a risk the golf's going to open up, but from having been part of it for the last, since the Super League came about the last seven, eight years, whilst some teams will dominate and you will get those results, like you said, with the Thailand USA one, across the board, give or take, it, it it's not on par, but everyone can really compete with everyone. And I would back ourselves as a team that if we were to get someone from the Women's Championship or the Super League in, in the FA Cup, but we would definitely give it our best go. Yes, the, the, the odds are against us, but um, there's nothing saying we can't like try and compete. So I think, yeah, the golf's always a risk, but that but I'd rather there be a golf and the, the investment come in yeah. than no investment whatsoever because ultimately you've gone from one Women's Super League of eight teams to now having two divisions which should give or take semi-pro-pro and that's only over time going to reflect and hopefully go down to like the third tier who then maybe get paid a bit so they can spend more time with football and hopefully over time that model will develop. But it will take time. Um, yeah, and I think the golf might be there from the top to the bottom in kind of the f- the top five tiers. But in between, I think there's, yeah, a bit of a mix, but we're closer than, than people think. No, fantastic. Um, one final note. I didn't want to ask because I felt like I didn't want to suggest it, but... You mentioned you're doing coaching at the moment. So yeah. Is that something you're looking on to for the future as well? Yeah, so at the moment, um, like I'm doing a few different things. And I think I'll always say it like I've like I'm only where I am because the opportunities I had through football, like both as a player, but through studying it and and exposure for it. So I currently work full time in football. Um so I've started a new job a couple of months ago as I'm a national women's football development officer for an organization called AOC Sports. So we work in the 
the FE sector. Um, um, and we're like, I'm shaped around trying to get more women playing and giving more people the opportunity to develop through football. So at the moment, I'm really enjoying that. Like I said, I, I do love coaching. And, and I think one day I'd love to go into like, maybe like a player, player coach role with Mel when I'm on my way out retiring. I say that now. Um, and then obviously maybe go into a coaching role. And, and I love the fact that Sunderland, like that's possible. Whilst I'm playing, I probably don't have the time to commit to coaching a team because game days will be the same day we play but and I was very open about it, Mel in the off season this year that when it comes to me kind of ending my playing career I would love to go into a coaching role and, I, and, I, and I'm glad that whilst it might not be possible because obviously you don't know what, what's going to change I feel in a place that that could be possible at Sunderland so on that year kind of my last year I might go to a player coach role um, and then potentially progress into like one of the assistant coaches with Mel and, and I've spoken to her about it because I think I have to think of what's next um, and that's why whilst I come to, I join Sunderland because obviously I want to play football and I want to get a club back to where it belongs. I like the fact that I can see that kind of long career journey with them. Um, so yeah, I'd love to go into coaching one day, but that's definitely something that once I stop playing, that would be kind of be someone I've tried to focus on more. But at the moment, I'm quite happy just working in it and then playing as well. Yeah, Keep Mel sweet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, play for as long as she wants me to play. So no fantastic well I think that's about all we've got time for thank you very much for coming in and uh, I hope that first game of the season against West Brom we get a massive attendance because it's going to be good I think I think we're going to win I think it'll be quite comfortable yeah definitely I think yeah firstly obviously thank you for yeah taking the time to chat to us and like I think anyone listening like if you've never watched women's football like please like give us a chance like do you know if you turn up and you hate it then so be it um, <laughs> if you do tell me and, and I'll take the blame for that um, but yeah definitely it's a great opportunity particularly about games on a Sunday if the men are playing on a Saturday like why not come and watch both and it's a great chance to kind of get into that whole one club kind of bigger Sunderland approach so yeah it'd be great to see some fans this year fantastic well thank you very much brilliant no thank you very much even on a budget Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.